There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. Well, we are continuing our series on the but gods of the Bible. Remember I told you 1 Corinthians is like the but God book. Amen. We've been in there uh, several messages. And I think we've got one more to go after this in the book of 1 Corinthians. But we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Usually on Sunday morning I'll send the outline to Brother Tony so he can put it in the bulletin. And I sent him the initial outline and I said in the, for the text, 1 Corinthians 1 through 9. And then I caught that and I said, no, 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 I'm not preaching through the first nine chapters in 1 Corinthians. I know I got an extra hour according to that clock back there, but I won't do that today. Chapter number 3, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, we'll start reading in verse 1. 1 through about 3 will give us a backdrop to what we're getting into in the previous verses after that. But let's stand, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, 1 through 9, standing in reverence and respect to God's Word. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 says, And I, brethren, would not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as to babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye, ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you even envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Look at verse 4. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos but ministers by whom ye believed even as the Lord gave to every man? And I have planted, Apollos watered, here's our but God, but God gave the increase. And actually he says it again in verse 7, For then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. We'll stop reading at verse 9. You can be seated. I want to talk to you about, But God gave the increase as we read it from our text. And I want to talk to you how that God interrupts our fruitlessness. God interrupts our fruitlessness as an individual and as a church collectively. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, God, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, our Savior. And God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the source of our strength. He is the source of our identity. He is the source of our love for one another and our love for a lost and dying world. As that song said, yes, you are the source of everything we need. Now, Father, I pray that you take the Word of God 
and, and, by, and the, by the source of your spirit, you would take it and enlighten us, Father. That you would take it and build building blocks of truth in our lives. Firm foundations for which we can grow by. God, I pray that you would show us today the importance of our labors for you, Father, but the necessity of your church, of your touch in our church's growth, in and in our growth of our personal lives. Father, we just pray you would help me as I try to preach. God, don't let me fumble and bumble through some notes and try to just make it through an outline. Oh, Father, I pray you'd take the Word of God and make the truth come alive in our hearts today. God, we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he is correcting them in regards to their attitudes. If you'll notice that Paul's bone to pick with the church of Corinth had a lot to do with their own attitudes, whether it be pride or self-exaltation or other areas, he is dealing with their attitudes. One of the wrong attitudes we find in chapter 3 is a pride concerning the minister that introduced him to the kingdom of God. We read the background in verses 1 uh, through 4, how that they're carnal, they're, they're very uh, basic and, and not very spiritual, not very grown up when it comes to the things of God. You know, when it comes to newborn babes in Christ, you'll find a lot of squabbling over this and that. And that's what you find there in Corinth. And some of these folks have been in the, in, in the kingdom of God a long time. Paul's basically saying you should be further along than you are right now. And they were squabbling over the fact of who brought them into the kingdom. Some were saying, well, I am of the founding pastor. I am of Paul. And, and I'm from that background. We were here before you ever got here. And then there were some who were saying, well, we're from Apollos, that eloquent speaker, that great preacher that came by after Paul. We're of him. And they were boasting themselves over what one minister had done as opposed to another. And so here we find Paul upon the heels of that controversy Paul begins a teaching about the lesson of that four-letter word called what? Work. Oh, what a nasty four-letter word. Work is the word that he's talking about here. There is a story uh, my dad tells me about, about my uh, great-grandfather, uh, 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 was it Sherman Brown. And uh, he, was, uh, he was a character. And uh, he had a problem with that four-letter nasty word called work. Uh, I've heard stories of how, how that he and my great-grandmother would go out there to paint a fence uh, on their farm. And, uh, and, and Grandpa Brown would bring a, a chair to sit in, and he'd sit in that chair and watch Grandmama Brown paint the fence. And then any time somebody come driving up the road, he'd get out of that chair, grab a, a paintbrush, and paint a little bit. And as soon as they was out of sight, he'd sit back down. He had an adverse, hey, it's not the most flattering story in the world. Uh, some of my attributes I probably get from Grandpa Brown. I'm not the greatest worker in the world. Uh, but listen, a lot of times this subject of work is not an easy uh, to, uh, thing to do. And a lot of times when it comes to work in the house of God, when it comes to work in the things of God, for the kingdom of God, oftentimes those that work like a dog on the outside and have a great work ethic down at their job don't have that same ethic when it comes to the things of God. 
It's like this letter that I heard floating around a rather large church. The pastor sent to many of his congregants concerning the number of workers he had in the church. This is the way the letter went. He said, Dear member, our church fellowship is 1,400. Non-resident members are 75. The balance left to do the work is 1325. Elderly who have done their share are 25, leaves the balance to 1300. The sick and the shut-in are 25, leaves the balance to 1275. Members who do not give are 350. Say amen right there. Uh, Christmas and Easter members are 300. The balance left is 625. Members who are overworked are 300. The balance is 325. Members with alibis, 200. The balance left is 125. Members too busy with other things are 123. The balance left to do the work is two. (laughs) Ain't it the way it runs in many of our churches today? is that there's a lot of people, uh, 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 a few people doing a lot of the work. Unfortunately, that's the way in many of our churches. And these folks miss out. These folks that do not labor, they are missing out on God's supernatural increase. Because the underlining theme in this whole message is not what you do, it's what God does in response of what you do. You see, that's the underlying message. And those that do not labor, those that do not jump in and work in the field of God and in the local church and in their family, they do, they miss out on God's supernatural work. You see, every one of God's people can see supernatural increase of God in their lives and in their church by following three instructions. I've got three instructions that I want you to see out of this text that we can glean out of there to apply to our lives to give us a right viewpoint on the work of God. The first thing I want you to see is recognize a definite instruction for our labors. Recognize a definite instruction for our labors. Although the end result of verse number 6 is that God supernaturally gives an increase, He has chosen to use human instruments like Paul and like Apollos to stage that increase. Now I want to let you know one thing right now. God could do it with you or God could do it without you. You are, not, uh, you are not indispensable when it comes to the labor of God. God can work His field on His own and not give you opportunity to work in it. And He can do just as well, probably a lot better, amen, than, than for us to work. But God has opened the gates wide open for you to join in and labor with God. If you'll notice verse 9, it said, For we are laborers together with God. You realize that God let you, let you work with Him? I remember when I was a boy and Dad was building his barn. He worked on the dam there at TVA and he had gathered a lot of scraps and, and a lot of this and that that he was going to put in his barn. And he was going to work on his barn. He had his cutting torch out and he was taking some uh, metal pipes and cementing them in the ground and cutting the tops off. And he was building it. Oh, I wanted to help my dad so much. Oh, dad, let me, let me see that cutting torch. Amen. Holy, dad, give me a saw. Give me that, uh, give me that uh, skill saw. Give, and he wouldn't let me do it because I was too young. He wouldn't let me work with him. 
I wanted to work with him so bad, but he wouldn't let me do it. Here is God, the God of the universe, and he said, come on in. I'll let you work. I'll let you work right beside me. You see, we got to recognize a definite instruction for our labors. Notice, first of all, we see a definite instruction about the field of labor. Look again at verse number 9. For we are laborers together with God. Listen to this. Ye are God's husbandry. Husbandry. What does that word husbandry mean? It means we are His farm. We are His field. We are the place in which He does His labors. As the gardener looks over his garden, and uh, so God looks over his church. Do you realize that God looks at Gethsemane Baptist Church as his garden? As a place where he does his work? As a place where he labors? Each and every one of our lives represents a place uh, where God, by his Spirit, has labored. And that's the truth. In your life, God has cultivated. God cultivated your hearts. God has planted the seed of His truth. God has watered with His Word. God has germinated salvation. And God has reaped a harvest of good works in your life. We are His garden spot. We are the place where God presides and does His work. Right here, in this place. So you think about these pews as rows of where God does His planting. And where God does His working, where God does His weeding, where God does His watering, where God does His, uh, His, uh, His fertilizing, where God does all of His labors is in this building. It's the, it's the farm, it's the place where God does His work. We are the Lord's vineyard in which He plants, prunes, and produces. The focus of God's labor is on His field, the church. You know, every local church should produce, number one, the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, tenderness, kindness, long-suffering. We should also produce holiness of living. God, when He comes and teals around our hearts, when He labors in this place, He ought to cultivate a holiness of our lives. God also, he, it should also produce the giving of tithes and offerings. That's part of God's working in our heart. I tell you what, it's a great work of God when God can take an old stingy, backslidden Baptist and they say, open up his wallet and say, God, it's your money. I'll give what you want me to give. You see, it's God's work in our life. Not only the, the giving, but also the good works that are produced from this place. Do you realize that the good works that you do, the labors that you do with your hands in this world are part of what God's done in your life? A part of the cultivating through whether it be the word or the preacher or whatever God does, however God does in your life, it is a production of what He's done in your life. The good works also praise unto the Lord. That God ought to cultivate as we sit in here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. God is taking instruments by His Word, cultivating that heart so that you would lift up your voice and praise Him. And also the, uh, the church should produce, uh, should produce the souls one to Christ. These are the production of a healthy church. These are the products that God is looking to cultivate right here among these pews. That's what He's cultivating. We see a definite instruction about the field of labor. 
But notice, secondly, we see a definite instruction about the fulfillment of labor. Notice what our verse number 6, our main verse there, it says, I, meaning Paul, I have planted. He didn't say God planted it. He didn't say the Holy Spirit planted it. He said, I planted. He said, I planted. This church may be God's garden, His husbandry, His field, but we are His laborers. The word here in verse number 9, for we are laborers together with God. That word laborers means co-worker, fellow, uh, a fellow laborer. It could, could mean farmhand, plowboy. Amen. I like that name, plowboy. What that means is, is that you're a farmhand. You're a field hand in God's field. Yes, this is God's field. Yes, this is, does this work. But you know what you need? You need, that, you need a, a piece of straw sticking out your mouth. And you need an old farmer's hat on and a, and a flannel shirt. Because you are his husband. You are his laborer. You are his field hand here in this place. We are to be, the, uh, we are God's field hands. The fulfillment of the labors on God's plantation are by our own hands. God has in His wisdom and in His love and mercy has allowed us to be His farm hands. Paul had personally, he said, I planted. Paul had personally been working in God's field at Corinth. In verse number 9, Paul said, we are laborers. We are laborers. Paul, the, the preacher, was not the select one. He said in verse 9, we are laborers. Talking that carnal bunch down there. You remember what he said at the beginning of the chapter? You're carnal. You're babes. You're not grown up. You're not discerning spiritual meat. You're on the milk. But yet at the same time, he said, we're all on the same playing field. We are laborers together. Paul didn't set him up on some kind of uh, spiritual pedestal. He wasn't the select one only for God to use. But all those at one time were party or, or were planting are now the are to be participating. All those that were the planting are now to be the participating. My question to you is, are you a spectator or are you a participator? You know, there are some folks that are sitting on the sidelines at the game. You know, it's March Madness right now, buddy. We're getting into, it's time, JB, it's time. It's the best time of year to watch basketball. I can't hardly stand it. I'll be glad when it's over with because I get the jitters. I want to go play again. But the truth is, there are a lot of times at these basketball games, yes, there is a number of people in the stands watching the game. Telling all the players what they should do. Tell, tell, tell them what would be the best play to run. Tell them how best way to do it. But there's only a select few down there actually playing the game. And the truth be known is many of our churches turn out the same way. Is there's a lot of spectators that have a lot of uh, uh, arm, armchair quarterback wisdom that could tell a lot of people how to do a lot of things. But there's only a handful that actually get down and do the work. But that's not the truth in this. And what Paul said, he said, we all are to be laborers together working in the field of God. Uh, uh, many, many of us uh, need to be like the little lady that was at a Sam Jones meeting, old Methodist evangelist Sam Jones. He had a meeting. He called them quitting meetings. And people come up and testify about what they're quitting, whether they're going to quit their tobacco or whether they're going to quit their drinking or their cussing or whatever. And this one lady jumped up in the meeting and she said, I ain't been doing nothing and I'm quitting that. Hey, we ought to have a lot of quitting meetings and stop quitting and start quitting doing nothing. 
Because the truth be known, all of us could do more. And I included. All of us could grab another shovel. All of us could grab another rake. All of us could grab a little bit more seed. All of us could labor more intently in this, in this fulfillment of God's work. We are to fulfill the labors of God. God has seen fit to allow us to join us in His work. God gives definite instructions for our labors. What? This is the field. This is the place to work. This is the, the hub of activity. This place ought to be a beehive of labor for God. And I'll never forget, I, I, I'm, I'm in a I'm real nostalgic mood. And I'm doing an archive of all of Brother Ken's messages from all the years back that he preached in the temple. And I started listening around 2001. And 2001 became a time where God began to grab a hold of a lot of people's heart. And I remember that our church turned into a beehive of activity. A hub for all kinds of labors to be going on. Oh, I want that so much for our church. I want us all to get the idea in our minds that Paul watered. Uh, I mean, Paul planted, Apollos watered. They did something. Oh, listen, my job as your pastor is to try to, uh, to help you discern, to try to help uh, to preach God's Word and to teach God's Word so that you might discern where God can place you best to work in His field. You see, uh, that we must recognize a definite instruction for our labors. You're not disqualified. If you're saved by the grace of God, you have a place to labor in God's field. Not only recognize a definite instruction for our labors, but realize a diverse involvement in our labors. Little League Baseball started up. Oh, man. I'm excited about it. Boy, I like, I like, I like Little League Baseball. And Evan had his first practice yesterday. Now, the truth be known, with those boys out on that field, not every one of them could be the pitcher. Not every one of them can play first base. Not every one of them can be the hand catcher. You see, each one of them, although on the same team, had a diverse place on that team. And the same is true with us. Not everybody can be the preacher, although you'd like to. Amen. I know you would. Not everybody can be the choir director. Not everybody can be the Sunday school teacher. Not everybody can do everything. There is a diversity in God's field of service. Notice, first of all, a diverse role of involvement. Not only did Paul plant, but it goes on to say that Apollos watered. Now, these are two very different things. Planting and watering are two very different activities and yet both vitally important for harvest. You can't have a harvest just by pouring water on a field. You can't have a harvest just by planting a seed out in the soil without giving it any water. Both are imperative in order to see a harvest. Every one of us are to be field hands on God's farm. Yes, but not all of us has the same task. God has given some gifts and abilities to fulfill different roles in our church. You see, I believe church membership is, is more than just you feeling comfortable in a place, more than you just feeling welcomed in a place. A church membership has to do with God adding people to do His labor in this place. 
If you can come into this house and find a place where God says, that's the work I'd have you to do in this place, that is a big role when it comes to church membership and church commitment to a certain body of believers. You see, we are come, God, listen, everybody that's here, Everybody that's here, God has a way and a purpose and a plan and a thing for you to do in this place. You are all part of the body of this field, of what God is going to do in this field. As this body grows, God will send more laborers to do more. As the field expands, as the, as the, as the farm of God at Gethsemane Baptist Church increases, God will send more to fulfill the needed roles. Some are gifted in order to teach, some to drive the van. Some to usher, some to cook, some to, ma- to, to oversee maintenance over our church, some to deal with our financial money. There is a, a, a variety of roles for us to fill. My job, like I said before, I knew I heard that phrase I said before somewhere else. My job as your pastor is to help you discern that. It's to do my best. To, lead, to follow God's leading and to place you or to allow you or to give you a sway into going where God would have you to do in service for this church. Was that completely confusing? I want you as your pastor, I want, listen, I want you to see firsthand God's miraculous increase. There's nothing like being on the inside. When God begins to do wonderful things. There's nothing like being used by God. Can I tell you as one that God has used in many a variety of different places. There's nothing in this world like seeing God do the miraculous through someone as in-miraculous as you and I. A wonderful feeling to see God use you. But there's a diverse role of involvement. Not only a diverse role of involvement, but a diverse reward for involvement. Look at verse 8. Paul slips in something that he talks about later on. Look at verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man individually shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Every man individually shall receive reward according to their own labor. Look down at verse number 13. Paul gets back on this subject of reward. Look at what it says in verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. You know what he's talking about. If you've been around church any time, any length of period of time, he is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Do you realize that there will be a judgment of your labors for the Lord? The judgment seat of Christ. Not a judgment concerning salvation, but a judgment concerning service. You remember Matthew 25, the parable of the, of the talents. You remember how that the master, he gave one man uh, uh, a certain amount of talents, 20 talents, and then uh, or 25 talents, then 20 talents, then one talent to the different individuals. And, and the master in verse number, uh, Matthew 25, 19, it said, After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. You see, there's going to be a day for every saved individual, every child of God, every laborer that'll have a day of reckoning with his master. There's a judgment seat of Christ. 
Do you realize that this judgment seat of Christ will review the service that you've rendered to God? Listen, that ought to be an incentive enough to drive us to labor for God. I mean, we ought not to have the right, or we ought not to, uh, to have the wrong intents of serving God. One of the underlying themes is this. There's going to be a day of judgment. For we'll, we as servants, as servants will stand before a master. And whatever talent he has gifted into us, whatever, and every saved child of God has some talent to be used for his glory in his church, to edify, to build up his church. Every one of us have one. And we'll be judged over whether we have used that talent or not. A driving incentive to launch us out into endeavors of service is the judgment seat of Christ. But also to analyze our motives of service as well. Oh, listen, God is, God, there is coming a day of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, where we'll stand before Him and give account of our service to God. But we ought to have, we ought to be motivated by the love of Jesus Christ to serve Him. To be laborers in the field, not under the constraint of a coming judgment, but because of a cross. Not because of a, a seat, but because of a cross. We should long to go out into the field of His service and labor. Recognize a definite instruction for our labors. This is the place you labor. Uh, <coughs> but, also but also realize a diverse involvement in our labors. And these diverse involvements will be rewarded someday. The last shall be first, the first last. Many of the roles that are out front, whether it be me as the pastor or others that, that do work out front that would receive a, a, a slight bit of praise or, or admiration for those things, I feel that in the judgment seat of Christ will come last. And it's those unseen efforts and those unseen things that are done for the cause and the glory of God alone that will be given uh, there will be given the greater reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Don't God has a funny way at that day of turning things backwards, turning things upside down. You labor for God in whatever God has placed you in, whether a lot of people see you or where very few see you, and you let God deal. You let uh, you be uh, you be faithful to your area of service, and let the chips fall where they may when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ. But not only the last of all, not only realize a diverse involvement in labor, but also rely on a divine increase of our labors. Rely on a divine increase of our labors. In verse number 6, Paul says, I have planted. He goes on to say, Apollos has watered, something completely different. But then when he says, but, in contrast to what we've done, but God gave the increase. You see, be assured of one thing. Whatever, what small measure of increase we have seen in this place is not due to the quality of, of the workmanship of the laborers here, but because of God's increase. And I tell you what, I, I, I've been discouraged for a while. You know, as a preacher, you want to see your church grow. You want to see numeric growth. Uh, and, and a lot of times you're pressured into that by other churches that uh, they're growing. Why aren't we growing this and that? But I tell you what, over the past few weeks, God has revealed in my own heart marked growth 
in people's lives. Marked growth, whether it be small but solid growth in our numbers or whether it be the growth in people's lives sitting in this room today, God has revealed that there He will give the increase. Not from your bumbling, stuttering, stumbling preacher, but from God's miraculous intervention in our lives. Notice it's a single increase in our labor. Look at verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. So it doesn't matter if you plant. It doesn't matter if you water. It's God that gives the increase. Notice in verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. But notice what he said in the first part. Every man that watereth, every man that planteth, no matter the diversity of what they do, they're of one. They're single in their labors. You see, for this sovereign work of increase to transpire, there must be a singleness in our endeavors. One author wrote, there is a diversity, but there is no division. There should be a diversity of labors in this place, but there should be no division. Oh, couldn't Paul... Couldn't Paul have been divided against Apollos and said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm the one that laid the foundation down that place. They've got me to thank for what sacrifices I've made down there at Corinth. Paul's, or, uh, Apollos is just a Johnny come lately. Well, no, that's not it at all. Or Apollos could have come in and said, boy, I tell you what, it's a good thing I came when I did to correct all the foolishness that Paul laid there. No, that's not it at all. They're all of one. There are, from our diversity, there should be unity. For there is to be a, for there to be a divine increase, there is to be a unity in focus in our labors. There is no one individual that can be credited, credited over another. You see, it is my contention that a healthy church, that a well-grounded church in the Word of God should go on for the glory of God no matter who's standing behind this pulpit. It's beyond one person. One person does not constitute a church. We, the body of Christ, as a whole, constitute this place. If I were to keel over with a heart attack tomorrow, God forbid, that way it would be nice to be going to heaven and everything, but, but uh, I, I mean, I want to be here as long as I can, as long as God possibly let me minister in this place. But if I were to keel over tomorrow with a heart attack, it should not mean that this church should fall apart. I don't care if I'd have been here 25 years. It shouldn't mean the church is more than one member. But we are so focused on the leadership, on the ones out front. And most of the churches you see today, when the, when the one falls by the wayside, the church will dissolve. They'll fall flat on their face. Why? Because they're not a healthy church. They may be great in number, but they're not a healthy church. Because a healthy church is greater than one person. You see, there, we must realize there's a singular, a singular increase in our labors. No one individual can do it all as well. I, as your pastor, cannot do everything. I think you know that by now. Amen. So I'm not even going to try. But I can't do everything. 
And as much as I would probably want to sacrifice my job and sacrifice my family and sacrifice everything else just to see this place go forward, I cannot do it all. If this church will increase miraculously by the hand of God, it will be a singular purpose from all of us. It will be a singular act of work from all of us. All of us in a variety of tasks God uses singularly for His ultimate glory. Warren Wiersbe said this, Even though there is a diversity of ministry, there is unity of purpose, and there ought to be unity of spirit. Unity of spirit in this place. So many of our churches are fragmented and splintered by all kinds of little groups that raise themselves up. Well, we're the leading Sunday school class or we're the leading this or we do this around here and there's such a splintering of us as a body. And that's why rarely in those circumstances do you see the miraculous increase of God. Not only in numerical, put, put numbers outside of your head. Yes, God wants more people to come into His kingdom. Yes, God cares about people. But also, God cares about your spiritual growth as well. You ought to be able to say that I am a stronger Christian. I am a more growing Christian than I was a year ago. Than I was five years ago. There ought to be marked growth in our lives. And that collectively, singularly, God increases. A singular increase of our labor, but also a sovereign increase of our labor. But God gave the increase. But God gave the increase. The farmer and all the field hands in the world can sweat and labor and plow and fertilize and water and seed all the live long day. But if God doesn't climb down in that soil and cause it to germinate and to burst open, they'll never see a harvest. I mean, the farmer, the farmer, all he can do is hope that the seed breaks forth, that it germinates and makes a harvest. And that is left completely and solely up to God. Ultimately, at the end of our exhaustive labors, we lower our hands, we raise our eyes in expectation to God. Listen, if I tried to measure my effectiveness in ministry by how many people I've seen saved in the jail ministry how many people I've seen saved in the homeless ministry, how many people have been saved in this church here today, I would judge myself to be an absolute failure before God. But you cannot survive the ministry by that attitude. You work as hard as you can, and you do everything you can, and ultimately you lay your hands down and you look to God, and it is God that gives the increase. If anything miraculous will happen at Gethsemane Baptist Church as in days gone by, it'll be because God wills it to be so. That God moves and acts upon the labors of a unified people to see for, God, for us to see miraculous growth. Apart from divine intervention, our labors are complete failures. God giveth the increase. I can't drag people into this church I can't drag you in to a greater, stronger 
Christian life, I can't drag you in to a life of holiness and righteousness and separation from the world and consecration unto God. I can't hog tie you and make you do that. I'm going to do my best to preach the devil out of you. I'm going to do my best to show you what God's word says. But God's the only one that can do that in your life and not me. Every saved Christian should be serving, should be a serving Christian. Every saved Christian should be a serving Christian. They are part and parcel. They go together. We have faith and we have works together. Every one of us should be laboring and serving in this place. We ought to be laboring tirelessly in His fields. One, because of the great salvation that God has given us and invited us into this field to join Him in His work. Number two, there's coming a judgment day and you'll stand before Almighty God and give an account of your labors. We ought to be laboring for God. But ultimately the fruits in our labors come from God alone. They come from Him. That's why you always, when you labor, and when you, when you sing, and when you preach, or when you tell, or when you share, or when you call, you, are, you bathe that in prayer. It's not going to be the eloquence of your speech. You know, a lot of you, a lot of folks find it difficult to go to visitation. And old Brother Ronnie, he's talkative and flamboyant and out there. And I tell you what, Brother Ronnie, he can do the deal out there on the front porch step. Truth be known. Truth be known. And when I go on that front porch step, I'm not, I'm not trying, I'm not a used car salesman. That's what I like to tell folks. I'm not a used car salesman. I'm not going to trick them into the kingdom with my words. I'm not going to swoon them with my speech. I go in confidence knowing that when I give the gospel, when I tell the truth of the gospel, He'll take it and birth the kingdom into that heart. It won't be because of my eloquence. It won't be because of my speech. It'll be because, because what God does in their heart with that. We want to have the same attitude of our labors. Yes, we labor. Yes, we work. Yes, we teach. Yes, we sing. Yes, we tell. Yes, we go. Yes, we write. We do all these things. But we leave it up to God for the increase. It won't. Hey, listen, that's, a, that's something to take off your shoulders. If, if, if a lot of times, oh, when I first started the ministry and I get all depressed and I get all down on myself, nobody came to the altar, nobody responded, nobody lifted a hand, nobody was paying attention to me. And I'd get so down about that, oh, I'm not even ineffective, I'm not being used by God until I got a hold of this truth. You just deliver the mail and let God do the rest of it. You just give it, you just tell it, you just write it, you just sing it, you just share it and let Him do with it. What do you, boy, I tell you, that's a load off your back. You don't have to stay up all night wondering, did I say the right thing? Did I write the right thing? Did I say the right thing in that conversation? Did I sing the right thing? Did I preach the right thing? You lay your pillow, your pillow head at night knowing that God will give the increase. Let's all stand. As we have a, a song of invitation, this is more like a Sunday night message. This is for, this is for the, the church of the living God. This is for us to grow by here at Gethsemane Baptist Church. This is some tools that we can put in our toolbox that's going to help us a long ways down the road. It's God that giveth the increase. It's not what you can do, although you ought to labor. You ought to work in God's field. You ought to be a farmhand, a plowboy, a plow girl out in God's field. Yes, you ought to work for God. But truth be known, if there's ever going to be somebody saved, it's going to be by a work of God. 
If, there's ever, if this church is ever going to grow, it's going to be by a work of the living God. If you're ever going to grow spiritually, if you're ever going to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, it won't be how many because of how many sermons you listen to. It won't be because of this or that. It'll be because God divinely moved in your heart and life. And there are elements that aid that. There are elements that open wide the gates for God to do that, such as Bible reading, such as prayer, such as sharing your faith, such as going out and serving God. But truth be known, if any growth is going to be experienced, it'll be by God and God alone. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you're lost. This is the field where God does His work. This is the field amongst His people, not this building, the group of people here that disperse and find themselves in all kinds of areas and fields to, uh, to sow the seed of the gospel. You may be here today lost. You've never received Christ as your Savior. You're, the, you're, the, you're the, that, that ground that I hope God's Word's been plowing up. I hope the Spirit of God has been, has been turning over and breaking up that fallow ground because I'm going to give you the seed of the Word of God. The seed of the truth of the gospel is that this. You're a sinner. You've broken God's law. You're in need of a Savior. You've broken God's law. You stand in the judgment of God. You've lied, stolen, committed adulteries. James 2.10 says if you keep the whole law and yet offend at one point, you're guilty of all. But Christ came and died on that cross, made Himself a curse in your place. And if you'll just gladly receive that today, if you'll bow your head and say, God, I'm sorry, I am a sinner, I've broken your law, I'm guilty, but God, I come and ask your forgiveness. I call on your mercy. Have mercy on me based upon what Jesus did on that cross. And God, save me, forgive me of my sins. He'll save you today. He'll come into your life and change your life forever. Would there be one that say, Brother Ronnie, I'm not saved. You pray for me. I've never on purpose placed my trust in Jesus and Him alone. God's working in my heart. Brother Ronnie, pray for me. Don't see any hand in the room. So we're just all home folks today. We're just all children of God in here today. Are you working for the Lord? Are you a good field hand? Are you a good and faithful servant? We want to be all laboring for God. Find your avenue of service. Find a, a place of production. A place where you can be used of God and not just take up room on a pew on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. If this place is going to grow, we're going to have to be unified in our labor to see God do the miraculous. Maybe you'd like to come today and rededicate yourself and say, God, from this point on, I want you to help me discern where you want me to work, where you want me to labor. God, place me in the most effective place at Gethsemane Baptist Church where I can work and be used of God. God, help me to work for you. Help me to labor, strengthen my hands, purify my life, make me a good servant for you. God, I want to see you do the miraculous in my life. I want you to do the miraculous in my church. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.